Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Athletes of all shapes and sizes, ages and at all participation levels from elite to recreational can experience low back pain at some time in their sporting lives. One of the major challenges for clinicians, athletes and their coaches is figuring out how to manage the pain so that the athlete can get back to performing at her best. It might surprise you to learn that there's precious little research on managing low back pain in athletes and there's even less on how to prevent it. My guest today is leading the way in changing all of that. Dr. Fiona Wilson from Trinity College Dublin is a physiotherapist, a researcher, an educator and a rower, and she's committed to helping improve the health of all athletes. Today, Fiona shares the highlights from a seriously impressive body of work on low back pain in athletes, including the hot off the press 2021 consensus on preventing and managing low back pain in rowers. Fiona Wilson, welcome to JOSPT Insights. Thanks very much, Claire. Delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you join us today to chat about low back pain in athletes specifically. And you've got that wonderful, elusive combination of the clinical, lots of clinical experience at all range, working with athletes of all ranges of experience. You've got the high level athlete experience yourself, the researcher experience. You've lived and breathed this research for a long time and the educator experience too in your role at Trinity College Dublin. So I think I can't think of anyone better to kind of walk us through what we know and maybe more importantly, what we don't know about low back pain in athletes. So can we start maybe by talking about the extent of the problem and particularly which athletes, which which types of sports we would commonly expect to see low back pain issues? I think what's interesting about low back pain is is something we see in the general population. So in sport, we're very used to talking about injury, you know, hamstring injury, Achilles tendinopathy. But here we're talking about something which we describe as pain. A lot of athletes would talk about low back injury, but the population of athletes are just as susceptible to what we see in the general population. So that's a really good starting point. And I think that is probably a confounder in a lot of the data that we collect in athlete population. A lot of the risk factors that we see in the general population, then we also see in athletes. So these are things like genetics, particularly with things like inflammatory back pain, which probably been very underrecognized in athletes. I've certainly seen it in my career. And I think part of my um, awareness of it is because I I do research in rheumatology as well. So obviously things like genetics, uh, environment, thinking about the biopsychosocial, all of of those different things, those, those different type of risk factors. Then I think it's also important to separate adolescent low back pain from adult low back pain in athletes because we're actually seeing something quite different. And when we looked at the research, there's a there's a real separation there. And I think there's certainly a component of those who suffer from adolescent low back pain never make it to be a senior athlete. I've certainly seen that in my clinical career. I, I really worry when I see a junior athlete with a, a case of low back pain that's not resolving well. And we know that one of your greatest risks for an episode of low back pain is a previous episode. That's in the general population. We see exactly the same in the athlete population. Then we go on to mechanistic factors. So that's cumulative loading. 
we've seen that in the general population, some great research done in industry. Caveat is, is cumulative loading that's not supported by good recovery. Biomechanics, as that links with cumulative loading. So certain studies are associated with specific biomechanics with cumulative loading. So my own area of research is in rowing. Cycling, slightly differently, slightly different. That's about postural gymnastics. So we've got those different movement patterns. Rowing is a flexion movement pattern. Gymnastics, you've got both ways. But we, we often see a lot of extension-related injuries. Cricket, swimming, tennis, golf. Um, so a little bit of a combination from endurance sports to um, other types of sports. And then we also see it in, in things like football and rugby. It's complex. And I think that's what we need to remember. We have a huge range of prevalence reported across different sports. So I would say we, we kind of far from a true estimate, not enough prospective cohort studies, but I would say it's very common. We probably don't know the true prevalence. We don't know what athletes are never getting to become an adult athlete. We don't know the dropout rate. So I think there's a lot more to be done, but it's certainly an issue that we need to to take notice of in athletes. How do we kind of think about this distinction, or maybe it's not a distinction between low back pain and back injuries in athletes? And I'm thinking particularly of say the cricketer, the the fast bowler with a with a spondylolisthesis, or um, an, a rower who has been doing a lot of rowing, not a lot of recovery, and is just saying, "Look, my back is sore." So that kind of acute onset of pain versus the cumulative. You know, I can't really put my finger on exactly when it started. How do you distinguish between those two? Or maybe it's, do we need to distinguish between those two scenarios? I think in athletes, there's a lot of pressure on us to do that because every athlete wants to know what is wrong with me. And I think if, particularly if you're working with a professional team, the manager wants to know what is wrong with them. They want a label and it often is the first pathway for managing them we're going to presume it's this but we're going to keep in our heads the complexities of how low back pain presents so we might have an injury within a pain presentation now that's maybe an an acute presentation as things go on I think we really then to talk talk more about this is pain we're treating pain particularly as we we don't feel the need to hang it so much on this this very specific pathology. Athletes will still talk about injury. And I think part of that comes from the psychosocial. They feel more comfortable saying I'm injured than I have pain because every athlete knows how to deal with pain. And we had a very interesting experience when we were doing our low back pain consensus statement that one of our athlete reps was helping us construct a plain language document. And he said, well, what is pain? He said, you're telling me I need to to tell my coach when I have pain, I don't care about pain. I race with pain. I pride myself on my ability to tolerate it. So what type of pain do I need to take notice of? And and that kind of got us all thinking as a team that really we don't define that very clearly. And it's because pain is so complex. It's obviously processed in the brain, not not locally. So I think we need to know a little bit more about that. And, And for that reason, I think we have to let athletes be comfortable with saying, I have an injury, I'm injured. We, we can actually build in our education around that. I'm hearing a lot of similarity with how we think about pain 
and it's interesting, we often kind of separate athletes from the general population. And in some ways it's like athletes are people, right? So all of the stuff that's relevant for people are going to be relevant to athletes. It's that athletes, if we're talking about the elite or the professional level, their job might involve a lot of repetitive loading. Say I'm thinking of a, a rower. So there's going to be particular aspects of their job or particular aspects of the, the life that are relevant or not relevant to how they perceive pain or how they how their body functions. But ultimately, um, people are people. And so these principles of treating the person, not the image, thinking about the language that you use, thinking about pain neuroscience and, and talking about what pain is and, and what it means are still all of those principles are going to have relevance, whether you're speaking with an 80-year-old person or a 16-year-old athlete. I think one of the things that's different from the general population is athletes are a commodity. In the general population, if you have work-related pain, across most of the world, we have legislation, which means that you can't sack someone because of that. In fact, generally, you'll compensate them or you provide an environment where they can keep going and you provide support. In an athlete, we don't do that. So if they have work-related pain and injury then they are no longer fit for work and they are let go. And athletes know that very well. So that changes the way they frame their pain. And, and in our qualitative study, a lot of them expressed that. They knew they were a commodity. One of the athletes described their coach as someone who saw a team as a box of eggs. You throw 12 eggs against the wall and you keep the ones that don't break. So that's embedded in them and how they report their pain. And, and that that's one of the things that makes it quite difficult to manage low back pain in athletes in that they they have there's a culture of concealment a lot of it is similar to the general population but their environment is different how they can disclose it how they see themselves how they see themselves fitting in and how they're valued it's interesting and as clinicians we're kind of getting our head around we do how we deal with that and how we get them to be more open about disclosing their back pain, how we get coaches to understand. It's quite, when we published that paper, I got kicked back from some coaches who said, yeah, right. But, you know, ultimately I don't want someone who's broken. Like if, if I don't, if they tell me they're, they've got pain, then I'll drop them. <laughs> you know, they, they actually mirrored what athletes were saying to us. What we know about back pain, if, if you can respond quickly, if you can deload quickly, then actually you're going to manage them. You're going to keep your talents going. Um, but it's, it's a huge mindset change for, for some coaches. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I like this, the idea of mindset, changing mindsets of, of coaches, of athletes, of clinicians, kind of everybody who's around the athlete or who's around the patient changing that mindset about how we think about injury, how we think about pain and how we think about managing it. It's about education from a from an early stage. And I think if we don't educate them well, then, and again, this came back in a qualitative, then they learn from what they see around them, their environment. So a few of them said, I remember someone in my team who had back pain and that ended their career and they were training with us. And this is what they saw. They saw them in a lot of pain. They saw them struggling. They saw how the coach and the rest of the team responded to them. And they said, I don't want to be that person. So that's up to us to educate them about what low back pain is, is to normalize it. I think that's really helpful, in particular seen in our in our rowing population. And that doesn't mean that's not talking about it being inevitable that you're going to get injured. 
it's a normal response. Once you load your spine when you're rowing, you you will feel the results of that loading, and that's part of you building up. And sometimes, if you don't recover properly, the result of this cumulative load is that you might get some pain, and then we 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 deal with that. Yeah, and that leads us perfectly into talking about the work that you've been leading. And I want to take this opportunity to congratulate you and the team on a huge body of work, really, I think, moving this field forward on how we think about manage, diagnose, treat and prevent, hopefully, back pain, low back pain in athletes. So congratulations for all of the work. And you mentioned the consensus statement just briefly before, and I want to jump into some of the consensus statement. And I, I think, you know, to get your, let's start with getting your sense of why it was so important to start with this consensus statement. Why is it so so needed? It was a great team effort, though. I'm really lucky to have so many people and, and all around the world. It was a fantastic experience. My own experience and being head physio for the Irish team for many years, I saw athletes exit from a glittering career because of low back pain. And not only did they exit, but they exited into a life of intermittent low back pain, which then affects their ability to work and live normally. So my view of it is it's one of the few injuries or problems that an athlete will get because of their sport, but will, will affect them for the rest of their life. We did a couple of systematic reviews, obviously, and synthesizing the evidence, but we also did Kelly Wilkie led on a fantastic Delphi paper that surveyed clinicians. So that captured fantastic experiences that, that went out to all the national squad clinicians around the world who are working in rowing and then a qualitative paper. And then as we created the consensus statement, it was really important to us that we had we had coaches and we had athletes who are working on that, that with us. So our outputs were then meaningful. And that was quite interesting because they helped us create a plain language statement. And it became clear to us we're, we're very embedded in our language or how we perceive or sometimes we're quite patriarchal. And this is what's best for you. And an athlete looks at it and goes, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a little bit like tell your coach when you're injured. Yeah, not going to do that. I'm going to get dropped. So then it's about, well, how do we help embed that? What do we do with the language? Where does that education need to come? How do we create create an environment for athletes so they can tell a coach? And then that we saw that that links into safeguarding. So certainly world rowing is addressing safeguarding. And, and for a long time, we thought about safeguarding things like sexual abuse, but actually it's abuse making people train when they're injured. Yeah, and I think one of the key messages that came from this consensus statement is around load management and how important it is to help athletes and coaches appropriately manage load. So can you share your key messages for clinicians listening today, how they can get involved in that process? What would your tips be to folks who are, are trying to implement effective load or trying to help athletes effectively manage their training load? Often in endurance sports, load isn't measured so well. And, and, and I would caveat it by saying that there's not enough good research to specifically link load to episodes of low back pain, but it, it makes a lot of common sense. And, and certainly in the retrospective studies, people have reported high volumes. That, that's, that's consistent. Then looking at when somebody presents with an acute episode of low back pain, all the evidence we've come up with shows that if people respond quickly, and what that means is deload quickly in that environment, they can talk to the coach, they change their training quickly. They're much 
more likely to have a good outcome. So I, I love the way Kelly has framed it in her paper in that she has different, different sections. So she has initial triage and she talks about manage, move, educate. Then it goes into um, the acute phase, manage, exercise, educate. And then as it goes on, it goes to manage, train, educate. So that middle bit, move to exercise to train, is about the load. Offloading completely is a disaster. I think we're well, well on with that. So it's, it's deloading, deloading appropriately, getting the athlete to buy in from the start and getting the coach. So that, that's them embedded from, from the beginning. And then a graduated exposure. So loading up, but loading back down. So it's having that kind of um, finding that sweet spot as, as we move upwards, but being, being happy to, to go back down again. We've tried a few cases where we've had um, a pain management model that goes with the loading, changing our mindset a little bit about how, how we um, exercise people with pain. I think anybody who's working in sports medicine has seen that. And we, we're getting the confidence to do that, that now with low back pain. We used to find it a little bit scary. You mean using a model where people are exercising within a range of pain? It's not about saying you must have absolutely no pain before you can do anything. Yeah. So first stage, a lot of it is about managing their pain really well. And that's with medication, deloading them quickly, really good pain management. And that's so they can move. So they can move in the first phase. They can keep moving because if somebody is in huge amount of pain, it's debilitating and they won't move at all. Then focusing more on improvement and function monitoring pain, pain respect for to it, but knowing that pain doesn't link so well with pathology sometimes. So what we've tried is a graduated return and then mapping their pain as they go along. Simple Excel spreadsheets work for me. They get an athlete's, you know, Google sheet on their phone and they just, for each little session, they're going to put the pain out of 10. And I like to see that it doesn't move above four. And then we map it and then mapping it against things like their sleep quality, profile of mood states. They're just little numbers, little smiley faces they can stick into a Google sheet and um, monitoring them that way. I think it's a really good education tool for them if they're filling it in, because often they can say, oh, look, my pain's up today, but look how badly I slept last night, or I'm feeling a bit low today, or female athletes, maybe I'm premenstrual, or actually my nutrition's not been good. As well as being useful as a clinician, as you load them back up, it can also be useful for them to understand themselves. Nice. Now, the other part that I'm thinking about too is that uh, physiotherapists or physical therapists listening might be thinking, okay, I've got some manual therapy techniques. I've got some ex- some specific exercise as opposed to kind of sport exercise techniques. What do we know about the, where's the research guiding us there in terms of how much kind of therapy is involved here versus how much is it more about managing load? So it's a little bit of both. Um, so remember, particularly in the early phases, it's about managing pain as well. And when athletes feel their pain is managed, they get more confident to move. And we often have this discussion amongst the gang of us who work with, with international rowers is that we are all trained in manual therapy and we all use it. And certainly when we're away at the World Champs or on training camps, we would all use it as an adjunct to exercise. 
an athlete is in acute pain, we do a little bit of manual therapy, they can move better. They can do that move thing that we're asking them to do in the acute phase, and then they can go and exercise. Jane Thornton's paper, so she did a really nice synthesis of all the, the studies that have been done on athlete low back pain management. There's not a not a great amount of work out there, but the consensus was that manual therapy can be helpful in the acute stages as an adjunct to uh, other modalities and specifically exercise. In terms of exercises, this is where people are very invested in certain things like core stability. There's no specific exercise that is, is better than others. Again, caveat, there's not a lot of high quality studies but I think it's exercise, exercise which reflects the demands of the sport are, are important. From what we've seen, that overemphasis on the isometric phase of exercise is not particularly helpful, particularly if it doesn't fit well with the sport. So particularly in rowers, we've seen things like planks. There's overemphasis on planks when they're ignoring other things like youthful exercise, like deadlifts. Now, do planks if you want, it's a little bit of fun, but doing planks alone and not doing dynamic stuff is not particularly helpful. So I think just not becoming obsessed with a generic approach. Common one I see is your glutes aren't activating. So it's this kind of reductionist approach where it's one, it's one muscle. I, mean, I think we kind of, we should have moved away from that. We were a little bit into that in the 90s. Thinking a little bit more globally, move in ways which prepare you for the sport, movement patterns, and don't get obsessed with single muscle groups. I think it's a really liberating message, and, and I'm, I want to thank you for liberating clinicians for to say, look, I've got this great skill set, whether I'm a physiotherapist, a physical therapist, an athletic trainer, a sports therapist, wh- whoever I am working in the rehabilitation, sports rehabilitation sphere with musculoskeletal health for athletes, that there's lots of great opportunities here and there's lots of different things that I can try. And one one thing may work for one athlete and another thing's going to work for another athlete. And, and so things Think, think big rather than thinking kind of, as you say, reductionist to say, well, it's the transversus abdominis or it's the gluteals or it's the manual therapy that's going to fix everything. Yeah. And, and it's about respecting the skill of clinicians. That Sackett model, you know, that came out a long time ago. And, and evidence-based medicine is not just the best research evidence. That's super important. But it's often really hard to do a randomized controlled trial for acute low back pain even harder in athletes. So then we have to tap into other sources of evidence. And then also thinking about the athletes, the athletes' preferences. If we tell them to do something which it won't work for them, then they're not going to do it. It doesn't matter what, what the evidence says. We need to listen to what works for athletes as well. So it, it makes it a little bit more complex, but we, we can do it. And there's ways of doing it. And I think that's the, the approach we had with our consensus statement. Fiona, I think that's a great place for us to finish a really nice liberating message for clinicians, athletes, coaches, researchers to work together. We don't yet have all of the answers, but I think if we're working as a team, we're on a much stronger pathway to finding some of those answers and ultimately helping the athletes that we're all we're all um, aiming to help. I agree. And I think just one little other thing is don't forget the red flags. And I think, you know, we've become a bit obsessed with the red flags in low back pain, but one that I've seen a lot of is inflammatory low back pain. It's very it's very common here in Ireland because we have, it's, it's genetically linked. But I think don't presume that athletes 
won't have diseases that the general population will have. And arthritis is, is common and inflammatory arthritis is a component of that. Thanks, Fiona. We will link to the consensus work that you've led on in the show notes. So if folks have a look at the show notes for this episode, they'll find links to those free papers on the British Journal of Sports Medicine website. Fiona Wilson, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of expertise with the JOSPT Insights community today. Thanks for having me, Claire. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.